Mac Power Users, episode 154, Apple TV. back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. You know, we have, were... Have, uh-oh. Have, you noticed, have you noticed that we're getting emails that are written to David and Katie, Katie Floyd? Katie Floyd? Yes, I've heard that. I love that. I love I've, that. I've heard that. Um, you know, you and I were brainstorming the other day about show topics coming up, and we were rattling off ideas, and we realized that we had never done a show on Apple TV. And yeah, that astonished me. And as soon as I said, well, have we done one on Apple TV? We both said, no, let's let's do that. We've done a lot of shows, but 154 episodes took us to get to Apple TV. Totally worth the wait. Well, I figured we better cover it now because there's a possibility that it all may change later. So, you know. I, see, I don't I don't see that. We're, we're going to talk at the end about the future of Apple TV, but I, I think it's incremental. It's not going to be something, you know, completely different. I tend to and, agree. And I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. So so what is the Apple TV? It's a it's a product you get from Apple. It's about the size of a hockey puck. It looks a lot and, like a hockey puck. Well, a square one. A at square least. hockey puck. Hockey pucks aren't square. I don't play no. hockey. We, we, uh, we live in Florida. We don't have any ice. The um, it's ninety nine bucks. Uh, a refurb store has them for seventy five. Mm-hmm. That's a great deal. Yeah, and and the current one is um. You know, I don't think they even give the specs for it. If memory serves, I think it has about eight gigabytes of RAM in it, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have a hard drive in it. The whole idea is it's, it's really a streaming device, and it's really great. I mean, they, it's come a long way. You know, when you open it, there's not much in it even. You just get a, a power cord and, and the box. And on the back of the Apple TV, you've got an HDMI port, which goes into the HDMI port of your television. So it's, it's a high-definition television accessory. And... The, the thing can work through an Ethernet a cable or through a built-in Wi-Fi radio, and it does a whole lot for you. And that's what we're going to do with the show. We're going to talk about the ways we use them, uh, some of the edge case stuff we do with them, and how they can make your personal life and your professional life better. Now, we're actually doing a series on Apple TV in my mug, and I think we're up to part three or part four. Uh, we yeah. just keep finding stuff to talk about with the Apple TV. Yeah, there's a lot there. So so the very first thing it did was the Apple TV brought an iPod to your TV. That's the way I always felt it was. Um, that's actually how I explained it to people initially. And that was very true with the first generation Apple TV, especially because it had a hard drive, because it was basically like hooking up an iPod to your TV where your TV was just the screen for the iPod. Yeah. And so the first one was a much different device. It was 300 bucks. It did have a spinning hard drive in it. And it was a, it was very much akin to the Mac Mini at the time, but it was more limited. Uh, and it was built, made to plug in your TV. I had one of those. In fact, I just gave it mm-hmm. away to the local children's museum. They needed to do some streaming stuff, and it worked for them. And they I, can I also, thought you said you were going to give it to the museum so they could have like a historical artifact. Of- no, no, there it, it's in action. After I don't know, three or four years, it still works. But the uh, they also use it to fry eggs for their breakfast because it's it really hot. Yeah. Well, I used it yeah. to, I kept my, that's where I kept my coffee. So it would stay warm. Yeah. Yeah. So the new Apple TV though, the hockey puck Apple TV is a huge improvement over the original design in my experience. Um, it doesn't draw as much power. It doesn't make any noise, no fan, uh, no spinning drive, no heat. I mean, the thing stays very cool and it's just a really great device, but getting back to that original 
the the original reason for the the Apple TV is the iPod in, on your TV. So what does that really mean? Well, if you've got your library, your iTunes library, you know, if you in fact this is the the pitch I always make for the Apple TV. People ask me if they should get one of those or a Roku, which is a competing device which has very similar design and does a lot of the same stuff. And I say, if you keep your media in iTunes, get an Apple TV. And if you do something else with it and you want, you know, more flexibility, then get a Roku. I have the Apple TV. I love it. You know, I'm, of course, I'm Max Barkey and I have a ton of stuff in our family iTunes library. And I love the ability to just stream things. And, you know, my kids have got older since I had Apple TVs and I'm noticing a much different usage for us. But, but, you know, when the kids were younger, they'll watch DVDs over and over again. I mean, it's something about kids everywhere. So, when we would buy a DVD, I would rip it into the iTunes library. And I talked about that at length in a prior episode. Katie, do you know what that episode I don't remember is? what episode that was, but I know we talked about that at length with uh, Sean Blanc when he was talking about his um, media server setup. He talked about yes, his workflow. Yes, we did. That, that was an updated version, so mm-hmm. we don't need to do all of that again. I'll look it up. And um, Well, but, JT so, will put it in the show notes. He's got us covered. He's always okay. got our back. So then, so the the idea though was I would get these movies, you know, the Barbie movies and all the stuff little girls like. Oh, boy, I just got in trouble. But anyway, my kids really like the Barbie movies. We uh, Dancing Mice and Cinderella were was our thing. Yeah, but my kids also like Star Wars and stuff that you know Dad was into. So that was kind of cool. But yeah. anyway, so I would rip those and I'd put them in the iTunes library on the family iMac that was attached to a Drobo. So I've got this big honkin' drive attached to iTunes. And all the movies are on it. Now, the movies I have purchased for myself, there aren't that many of them because I don't watch that many movies more than once. But there are some that I really love. If you listen to the show, you probably know a few of them. So I've got my movies on there and I've it's got... the one with the pencil, right? Never mind. Oh, Go even, ahead. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Go ahead. What are you talking about? I don't know. No clue. Okay. <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay. Well, anyway, so I've got the iTunes library. I've got all these movies on it. So some of them are mine, some of them are my wife's, and a bunch of them are the kids. But, you know, when you have kids, you go to get the disc and there's peanut butter on it or there's some problem. And it was always a big deal to find it. You find the case and the case has got, of course, a different movie in it or a video game or something. So once once I got the Apple TV, excuse me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> anyway, um, yeah, uh, it, it really solved this big problem for me because Apple TV plugged right into my iTunes. It saw those movies that were formatted for it. This was back in the day where I think I was on a G network. It was even before an N network, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But it's I've never had a problem with that Apple TV streaming wirelessly from the family iMac and playing the movie that the kids want. And so you just go down the menu, pick it, and you hit play. And to this day, when I have non-nerd friends come over and we want to pull a movie up and they see how easy it is, it blows them away. Yeah. Now, I, so, do, I do think that the a little bit of a drawback, and I don't know how you get around it and keep the price point at $99 because that's a huge advantage. But there was something about having true hard drive space that you could sync movies to on the original Apple TV. Because now that it's purely a streaming box... Now you've got to have that family iMac or some other machine that's on somewhere in the house that it will stream because now it's not as much of that iPod connected to your TV because although it has, you know, flash memory in there for buffering and it it can store a movie or two in the flash memory, it's not going to store your entire library or it's not going to store your 
20 favorite movies or whatever it is you want on the Apple TV. So you're going to have to be streaming from something, and it's going to have to be something that has an iTunes library running. Unfortunately, you can't stream you know, from from a, a NAS server that, that I'm aware of. If someone's aware of a, um, you know, a way to get around that, I'm, I'm certainly curious to know. Well, I've got a section in the outline about ha- hacks to the Apple TV, and yeah, there okay. are some things you can do. But, you know, let's talk about the generic setup. You're right. It's a streaming device. And I worried about that when it first came out. But by then, I was on an in-speed router. And I, I don't know about you, but I have not experienced much of a problem with streaming no, uh, movies. Never. Occasionally, I run into trouble with streaming uh, YouTube and maybe sometimes Netflix. But generally, my streaming movies from inside my home network where I'm not pulling stuff off the Internet, it's always worked just fine. And we watch movies on it all the time. Uh, one of the solutions for this problem is is where you purchase the movies. And I'm kind of in a weird spot here. I never bought a Bluetooth player. Are you a Bluetooth owner? A Bluetooth player? Oh, I mean, um, Blu-ray. Uh, Blu-ray, Blu-ray. Yeah. See, I've been listening to too much um, Back to Work. Yeah. I did buy a Blu-ray player, but I use that. Honestly, what I use the Blu-ray player is more for anything else. It was one of those $50 special is I used it as an Amazon streaming device because that's the one thing the Apple TV still doesn't have is Amazon instant streaming. So I, I've just got no interest in buying more discs. And I know that I can go to, uh, you know, Target or whatever and buy blu-ray dvds is that a right term or you just call them blu-rays i don't know okay well you know the the blu-ray discs i think i can buy them cheaper than you know an average movie on itunes is like 20 bucks and they sell them cheaper at at um target but i don't buy that many movies the kids have got older they don't want we don't need to buy every movie that they see you know every stupid kids movie that comes out that we don't need a copy of anymore and so our budget for buying movies has gone down. And and I also have canceled my Netflix disc subscription for kind of the same reason. And so now I feel like I've got a little extra money in the movie allotment. And I have started buying my movies from iTunes. Am I crazy? I don't think you are. And I've started making this transition too. So the first thing that I did is I started buying these Blu-ray combo packs. You know how you get the, the Blu-ray the regular DVD and the iTunes or the digital download or whatever it is they're calling it, where there'd be a code in the box and you could download something. And that that's what I did for a long time and still do. And and I'm like you, I buy maybe, maybe one or two movies a year. I think the only movie I've bought so far this year was Star Trek in the darkness. And you know, here's the, the rub with that. Mine hasn't shown up yet. It's available to purchase on iTunes and Amazon right now because they did some kind of pre-release special but my disc with the code in the box hasn't arrived yet. It doesn't You'd be arrive so happy. till next week. Samantha, You've got it. My, my old one, Samantha, yeah. she wanted, she wanted that. She's dead. Can we get that? I'm like, all right. So, so what you said makes perfect sense. It, it make more sense to buy the Blu-ray disc and get the free digital download, you know, type your code in iTunes and, and download it. Because, because way- the difference in price was a couple of bucks. And I, for a long time, and maybe still a little bit now was afraid what if this goes away? This isn't like music. It still has DRM. What if this goes away? What if Apple turns off the servers one day? Yeah. And and that makes perfect sense. And I think logically that's the way you should do it. I have no interest in that. I don't want the discs. I don't even own a player. I suspect at some point the players are going to go out of vogue and then I'll have a bunch of discs I don't know what to do with. And uh, so I just buy the digital download version from Apple. And I've done that now with several movies. I've, I've updated 
uh, some of my movies. The other reason is I have a high-definition TV, but I don't have a high-definition disc player. Uh, you know, what, one of my favorite movies, and I am, we're going to get Jason Snell on this show, and I'm going to beg him to get me on an incomparable episode about E.T., because for some reason, that movie just pushes every single one of my buttons. But the, uh, so I've had the, the disc, the 20th anniversary edition on DVD for years, and, you know, we watch it every year on my birthday. That's my thing, you know. Um, I'm wondering when we'll get to the point where my kids won't watch it with me anymore, but at that point, I'll still watch it. I'll go find a nephew or a niece and grab them. But uh, so I just bought the digital version because I wanted it in HD. Yeah. Well, um, you know, a week or so ago, iTunes had this big sale on bo- well, what we would call box sets. But you could get, I think, all three Back to the Futures for 20 bucks. And if you got up early on the East Coast, you could get all the Harry Potter movies for 10 bucks. And I had most of them, but not quite all of them. I was like, download, done. Um, and and I actually I own every single one of the Star Trek movies on um, on Blu-ray, and but I didn't have digital versions of all of them. And yeah, I know I could go rip them, but then they wouldn't be in the cloud and all that stuff. So I think it was like thirty or forty bucks. You know, just it was like less than five bucks a movie. So I I went and you know there were some good deals on iTunes gift cards at about the same time. And I think I got a fifty dollar card for thirty eight dollars. So I picked up a couple of those and done. I went to town on the uh, iTunes store. Katie Floyd, you, you just work every angle. I do. I know. I got to have a little value. And so I woke up on the West coast and the thing was already over. Sorry about that. But that's good. I, I did buy that day. It inspired me to buy the Indiana Jones um, quadrilogy. I don't know what you call it. Uh, I actually just wanted the first and the third, but you had to buy them all. But now I've upgraded those to high definition. And with the way our family works, since we have iPads, uh, having this stuff available, and I am getting back to my point now, <laughs> um, because I've bought them through iTunes, they stream to my Apple TV without having to have a computer running. Right, because you have them in the cloud now. The yeah, iTunes and the that's cloud. really great. I, I hope at some point Apple makes it, you know, something the equivalent of iTunes match for movies. Where I don't think say, the movie okay. studios are ever going to let them. Yeah. Well, because it would, it would, it would kind of be a free-for-all. It would kind of be amnesty for all the... The Netflix rippers. Yeah. It's difficult. But, you know, something, you know, as I thought about it when I made this transition, and this has only happened for me over the last probably 18 months that I've started buying these iTunes movies, is I realized that, you know, I bought, you know, the movies that I buy are few. And the ones that I do buy, I've already bought two or three times. I mean, I remember buying Star Wars on VHS. And then... The last time they made a good version of Star Wars? It was on VHS. Well, I mean, this... Yeah, well, this was a long time ago, and then I think when the they re-released the pre the 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 real Star Wars that I grew up with, they re-released those on VHS. I think I bought them again because the tapes had degraded, and the, you know, so I've bought these things three or four times. I don't over think the you can buy life. Star Wars on DVD anymore without a CGI Jabba oh, yeah, they, walking they around just, the the place. It's like um, I I heard. Somebody was saying, you know, George, what George Lucas has done to Star Wars is like someone who's addicted to plastic surgery and just can't stop. That was the know, last time things. that hand um, shot first, wasn't it? Was on VHS. Are you just messing with me now? I think you are. <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, just generations of children will never know. Just stop. Just okay. stop. All right. Or I'll, I'll, I will go there. <laughs> we'll disconnect the call. The um. So now you totally threw me off too. Darn you. Uh, but anyway, so my point being, 
I'm not that hung up on it. So I've bought some movies now from from Apple and iTunes. And if Apple implodes and somehow loses $100 billion and shuts down, I'll end up buying them somewhere else again. There aren't that many of them. I'm okay with that. I just love the convenience. I, you know, I'm done with the whole ripping and, you know, applying metadata and all the, the overhead that comes with all that stuff for the number of movies I watch. And, you know, maybe someday, uh, I, I think the exception for that would be when you have little kids, because that's a whole different scenario. Little kids watch a movie like 50 times. So one of the things that happens when you get all of these videos, especially if you do want to stream them to an Apple TV and you don't want to keep streaming them from the cloud or downloading them from the cloud because of bandwidth limits, that's one thing I'm bumping up against it this uh, this month. I've gone over my bandwidth cap and I think downloading, you know, nine Harry Potters and nine Star Trek movies and, you know, three Back to the Futures and High Def might have done me in. But, um, you know, keeping them on here in your local network and then just streaming them to the Apple TV obviously doesn't cost you any bandwidth, you know, coming from your internet service provider, but it does cost you a lot of hard drive space in an age where hard drives are getting smaller and smaller and smaller because all of our machines are going to SSDs. So I think well, I we can... Say, I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, it, they're getting smaller in comparison to where they were, but the, the SSDs are getting bigger. Yeah, the SSDs are getting bigger, but you know, you're you're still not getting a terabyte or two terabyte or three terabyte SSD in your, in your iMac anymore. Yeah. I mean, you can Unless with it, a fusion, you can do a fusion drive at this point, but. Or if you had a yacht, cause if you had a yacht, you probably would have a two terabyte SSD in your yacht. You probably could, Yeah, but, but it creates a storage problem, especially if you're doing a lot of video in your, in your iTunes library. And so I initially started out with a hybrid solution where I would keep all of my music in my iTunes library, but I would keep all of my video files on an external hard drive that I would plug in when I needed them. Yeah. And that's a solution that, that still works very well. And what you can do is in, in iTunes, there's some advanced options that you can choose in the, in the preferences where you can tell iTunes, do you want it, to, which I typically recommend that you do, do you want it to keep your library organized? Meaning when you add items to iTunes, when you drag them into iTunes, do you want it to copy it into whatever that folder is that you've, or that location is that you've specified as your iTunes folder? For most people, by default, it's in your user folder inside your music folder. And, and then it, you can even tell it to keep it organized into subdirectories by music, videos, um, podcasts, and so forth. But if you do not want it to copy something in on a, on a case by case basis, you can hold down, I believe it's the option key and drag video files into iTunes. And so then you can take those video files and put them wherever you want to put them, whether it's on an external hard drive, which is where I used to keep them and then drag the files into iTunes while holding down the option key. And it would point them to the location where it is without actually copying them into your iTunes library. And iTunes would know, where those files are. So as long as that external hard drive is powered on and connected, it would be able to find them. It would be able to play them, no problem. But if that external hard drive was disconnected, you'd get, you know, kind of that exclamation point warning, I can't, I can't find this file. Which is a really great way to handle this. And then the other option would be just to move the whole library off your, your native drive. Which is what I've done now. You know, now that I have the luxury of having that second Mac that is on all the time, it doesn't have a huge hard drive. I, yeah, it's got a decent-sized hard drive. I probably could keep it on the Mac Mini's hard drive. 
but I didn't want to take up that much space. So what I've done instead is on the Mac Mini, which I've made my primary iTunes library for all of my stuff. So now I don't keep movies and and large files on my MacBook Air's iTunes library. I keep everything in my Mac Mini's hard drive or my Mac Mini's iTunes library. And I have just changed the location of that iTunes music folder. And I've pointed it to my Drobo. And so that's where all of the files stay. And my Drobo's a network-attached Drobo. And, I mean, that thing's got gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs of storage. So it'll eat whatever I point at it. And because I keep that library consolidated, anything that I add to it or anything that I buy to it, uh, buy, and it gets automatically downloaded to it, will we'll just get added to that Drobo's library. So for the record, that was three gobs of data? Gobs and gobs and gobs of data. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of gobs. It's a lot. A gob is bigger the, than a terabyte. The it, One thing about that that method, and I found this out the hard way, is if for some reason that Mac goes to look for the library and it's not there, if it's disconnected or powered off or some for some reason just not connected, you know, sometimes you'll have an external drive connected physically and turned on, but for some reason the Mac doesn't see it. iTunes will start just storing data on a local iTunes library. Have you ever run into that That's true. Issue? Yeah, yeah. If if something is, is out of sync or something got turned off or powered off, it, iTunes will create its own local iTunes library and start saving things. And that's where this consolidation of libraries comes in. And if you notice that this is happening, there is kind of a cleanup procedure that you can do in, in iTunes to consolidate your library. And what that will do is it will take everything that is in your iTunes library and put it in wherever that place is that you've specified. So once that drive gets reattached or you reconnect it, usually you just have to restart everything to get them back into sync and and point it back to where you want it to go. Um, There's a process whereby you can then go in and consolidate and iTunes will say, we'll go through and look and say, okay, well, these are all the items that are not in that place and it will find them if it knows where it is, which it should because it put them in that specific place, copy them, to the location that you specified, and then you can go ahead and delete the one that it created in in the place that you didn't want it. Does yeah, that and make and it, some kind of sense. Yeah, it did. And in my experience, even when it when it starts that local library, even if you later reconnect the external drive, um, I've had the experience where it still didn't start saving to the external drive. It, it kept saving to the local drive, and suddenly your your um your hard drive is filling up and you don't know how that happens. So if you're going to use that method, I recommend maybe an OmniFocus task or something every 60 days, just check to make sure that you're using the right library with your iTunes. Yeah. And the way that you do that is in the um, under iTunes in the file menu under the library, it will, there's a drop down menu and it just, the option is organized library. And that's where you see the little checkbox. There are two checkbox on, once you drop open the dialog box for organized library, Checkbox one is to consolidate the files, which puts copy of all the media files that are used by iTunes into the iTunes media folder. So you would just make sure you have the media folder that you want and the location you want selected. But it does leave the original files in their current location, so it doesn't delete anything. Um, and, you know, we're tr- we're turning this into an iTunes show. Okay, well. But you're right. All that stuff is good. And, and then you can stream it to your Apple TV. Yeah, once you got and it all it- organized. And it's not just movies as well. I mean, I'm really into uh, smart playlists and music playlists. And so we have friends over, you know, I've got a Yule playlist at, at the holidays or whatever. You know, I've got these great playlists and my Apple TV is connected, you know, to my stereo system. 
So that's a great way to play some good music. Uh, the, uh, the family pictures, you know, which you put on through your aperture or your iPhoto library can, um, well, actually that doesn't work for Apple TV now, right? Uh, no, it does work. You, okay. you can't, you can't put your, there are a couple of ways that you can put folders or pictures onto your Apple TV. And I'm going to keep talking about iTunes because you know what? You don't put your pictures on your Apple TV through iPhoto. Did you yeah. know that? Yeah. You, it, and, and it's not what you would think. Um, well, you can access photos through Apple TV. There are a couple of things. You can access um, photos that are in photo streams that you've shared. So if you've shared specific photo streams or people have shared photo streams with you, um, you can access anything that's in a photo stream. But let's just say that you have a couple of albums of photos that you've organized in Aperture or in um, in um, what's oh, iPhoto. iPhoto. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, why couldn't I remember that? Um, but under the file menu under home sharing, which is kind of what allows all of Apple's devices to see each other and talk to each other, um, in iTunes under file and then home sharing, there's an option to choose which photos to share with Apple TV. And when you click that button, it will show you, um, you know, kind of a breakdown of your iPhoto library, depending on if you've got them organized into folders or um, into albums, and you can check which photos you want shared on your Apple TV. And then, you know, then it shows up as a kind of as a subset of photos. So if you want to have those particular photos as your screensaver, you can select, you know, photos from Katie's iPhoto. And it's so fun to show photos, like when you have family gatherings, you know, play a little music, show some photos. Everybody's happy. It's great. And they have some nice transitions. It's just really well done. It's an Apple product. I mean, they they make a nice presentation of this stuff. And um, so what about some accessories for the Apple TV? Because there really, there are a couple. And the first one I would say, without a doubt, is download the remote app from Apple for your iOS device. They have one, you know, it's universal, so it works on both the iPad and the iPhone, but it renders differently on each. And it's, it is my preferred device for accessing the Apple TV. It gives me the ability to jump in and tap a movie or, you know, virtually control the pointer. And it's always in my pocket. I think that's a must. Now, you do have to have – keep in mind, with the magic that lets that work is, is again, home sharing. Yeah. Which allows all it, those things to show each other. And the best thing about that that I don't think that you mentioned besides the pointer is that if you ever have to enter text into the Apple TV – it is not yeah. fun up, down, left, right, you know, trying to type in words. And if you've got the remote app on your iPhone or your iPad, you can just type. Yeah, that's probably the worst feature of the Apple TV is the remote. Uh, and it, so it's a four directional remote with a select key and a menu key. And, you know, it's okay for picking an icon and starting a movie. But like if you go into the YouTube app or if you want to search Netflix, it's just going to make you crazy. Okay, so what would you do instead? I mean, the the other end, you either go simple with the Apple remote or you go insanely complicated. You put like a QWERTY keyboard on the back of it and you have no, it I, slide out and do this and do that. I don't think there is a better solution. I just don't, I think it's the worst part of it. Like when you first set it up, you've got to put the Wi-Fi password in with that remote. And then that's the last time I do anything complicated. And I read somewhere that Apple's working on a way to make it so you don't need to do that anymore. But I don't think that's released yet. I plug mine into an Ethernet cable. Yeah. That, that is a, something we should talk about briefly. So you connect your Apple TV through an Ethernet cable because... Some of them. Uh, some, that's right. Well, 
we'll talk have, about that too. Yeah. But but the um, you know, you when you bought your house, they were building it, so you had the opportunity to go through and just go crazy with copper all over the place. Right. And I I'm very envious of you for that because for me it would be a massive project to to get Ethernet to where my Apple TV is. Um. So I just do Wi-Fi, and it I I don't miss the Ethernet. I'm sure it would be faster through Ethernet, but it doesn't seem like the lag is a problem for me. The What's only time that? I really the only time I really notice is it is YouTube. The kids watch a lot of YouTube videos, and mm. it seems like they get hung up sometimes on streaming. I haven't noticed much of a difference on the, the now the Apple TVs that I primarily use are the ones that are connected to Ethernet. I have one in my office that's connected to Wi-Fi, and I haven't noticed much of an issue. But I don't use that one as much. So, so you have a you have two TVs in your house with Apple TVs connected to them. Three, three. I have oh, three wow. TVs in my house and three Apple TVs. That sounds bad, doesn't it? One person with three televisions. How does that work? And three Apple TVs. Okay, well, so I got one in the living room, which is my primary TV, and then I have one in the bedroom, and then I have one in the office that's just kind of a secondary display slash monitor slash you know it's just there for kind of a third screen. I think it's your Star Trek roots. It is. <laughs> I have to have screens everywhere. We have, we have one and a half TVs in our house. We have a, a nice big high def 42 inch TV that we, you know, watch TV on. And then when the kids were really little, we got one of those. It's like, you know, it's a tube television with a VCR slot in it. <laughs> and uh, oh my goodness. I mounted it. It's in the kitchen on a swivel. So like when the kids were eating their Cheerios, we could put, you know, blues clues on, but the, um, that TV is just, that thing just keeps going. It won't die. It's probably like 15 years old now. And I, I kind of want it to die so I can get rid of it, but it just keeps going. So, but, but really, you know, one thing about me and TVs, I, I really like to watch TV. You know, I don't like to uh, sit there and read an iPad or a Mac while TV's on. So if I'm going to commit to a show, I'm really going to commit to it. But then as a result, I don't commit to as many shows. Well, the, the Apple TV, I, I use the Apple TV so much because when I cut the cable, I got the second Apple TV in my bedroom because the Apple TV became a primary source of, of media for me um, yeah. when I stopped using cable. And then the third Apple TV, I, I bought used off of somebody. So I, I got a pretty good deal when the when the third generation Apple TVs came out. I bought a used second gen Apple TV off of somebody. And that is just kind of my bonus Apple TV. That's the one that I always use for presentations. So that Apple TV is designed that I can grab it and take it somewhere and throw it in a bag. So when it's not in a bag, it's connected to the TV in my office. And we're going to talk about presentations later, but my family has become so dependent on Apple TV that that is starting to become a problem because when I go out of town, I unplug it and take it with me. Yeah, I, I bought this third Apple TV from somebody for like, you know, 50 bucks. And I was just like, for 50 bucks, it's it's not worth me, you know, rummaging behind the TV a couple times a month to to unplug this thing and then reset it up. The um, So, uh, in addition, you may want to consider a Bluetooth keyboard if that's really your thing. If you're going to be doing a lot of searches, um, you could get a Bluetooth keyboard. It, it reads a Bluetooth keyboard and it would make it easier to do searches. Although I think the iOS app is probably just fine. Yeah, um, I like that K760 keyboard that you recommended just because yeah. you can use it as a primary keyboard for something else. And if you want to use it with your Apple TV, you can pair it as kind of your third thing. Yeah, so I, it's it's got three Bluetooth radios in it. We've talked about this in the past on the show. And so mine's paired to my iMac, my my iPad, and my iPhone. But if I wanted to, I could have used one of those for the Apple TV. But 
I, I don't find it a problem. Do get the i get the iOS remote app, and usually it's on my home screen because we have become so dependent on the Apple TV. So we've been talking about our first little point, and and we said now, this was going to be a short show, and it's been thirty minutes. So yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. But I got really excited talking about movies and my revelation about how I'm buying movies these days. Yeah. So let's take a break and talk about um, our exclusive sponsor for the show is Smile. And uh, Smile's a great company. They make some of our favorite products. Uh, one of which is, boy, if it's not my favorite product, it's it's really close. It's so useful. It's Text Expander. And so Text Expander is an application that does a simple thing. You type in a few letters and it expands to whatever you want. It could just be a few letters and characters like your cell phone number, or it could be pages and pages of text. But it does so much more than that. It allows you to insert um, code and Apple script, and it does uh, fill-in forms. I've done some screencasts for them, and we've talked about these in the past where I can send an email out. I just did it today. I had a conference call. Someone called me at the last minute and says, we have four people we have to talk right now. In fact, that's why we're recording late, Katie. I had to get on this conference call. We don't know how to get everybody on. So I use my free conference call.com uh, phone number, and it's all a, a text expander snippet. When I type conference call without a space, it creates a form email that says, dear blank. This confirms our conference call on blank. So then I type in today at 4 p.m. You know, you can join the conference call by calling this number because free conference call has the same number every time for me. The number is already in there. Once you're in, press the pound sign, then join the call. Then it says, I estimate the call will take. And then it's got a it's got a drop down where I can say 15, 30, 45 or 60 minutes because I never do a call longer than 60 minutes. And uh, so I put the drop down in there. So it's going to be 30 minutes and. The expected agenda for this meeting will be blank. And I typed in two or three items that I wanted to make sure we covered in the call. And I did all of that with one um, snippet. And then that went out within like a couple, with probably 60 seconds of us saying, oh my gosh, we need to do a conference call. We don't know what to do. So that went out email to all those people. And then we were all on the phone in like 15 minutes and everybody thought I was a hero. It's pretty great. You know, probably that's otherwise would have taken you 15 minutes just to compose the email. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> sorry. Wow. I've been talking a lot today. Can you tell? Yeah, sorry. It's all right, though. It, but this is a great application of this application. And I find stuff like this all the time. There's a couple sentences I write in an email at the day job that I realized, you know what? I've been writing this for 20 years now. And why am I doing that? So block and copy you go up to the little text expander icon you say uh, create snippet from clipboard and suddenly i've got that now in a little snippet and i'll never type that again when we did our last show on this and this is why i wanted to talk about text expander today um i talked about how I'd, i saved six days in the last year with my text expander um date uh, with my text expander data you know it tracks how much time you save and everybody thought I was crazy. I got some emails from people that, frankly, just didn't believe me. But then I got emails from people who have saved more time than me. I mean, can you imagine what would you pay to save six days a year? I mean, I can't get it. I can't get over how great this app is. They're constantly developing it. Um, we've we've had listeners write in. We've experienced ourselves. They have top-notch support. So if you have a problem, you call these guys. They help you out. And it's just a great application. You can get it for the Mac for thirty four ninety five. 
And you can get Text Expander Touch for your iOS device from the iOS App Store for $5. Uh, they sync together. Um, it's just the the greatest thing since sliced cheese. I love Text Expander. You will too. Go check it out. And uh, also go over to maxsparky.com. I've got now a tab under the more button. And I know I hate having the more button there, but I've got a bunch of things I'm interested in. And I've got a list of interesting snippets that I'm developing. One of them is that conference call snippet. So you can download that and use it for yourself. Don't Thanks, you wish Smile. There was, yes, thank you, Smile. Don't you wish there was text expander for speech? Yeah, well, there could be, but it's a little it's a little wonky. I mean, if you could if you could make a statement through uh, Mac dictation or through Dragon Dictate, and that would fire off a text expander snippet. That's not what you're talking about. Though, no, no, it? no. I meant just for when you say the same thing to somebody over and over and over and over again. So you could just say whatever, you know. Two two letters and and the whole spiel would come out. But you know, then we would never have a conversation again, Katie, because you would just use those on me all the time. <laughs> we kind of have one when you wave your hand. Smile, get on that. So sometimes when I'm with Katie, she'll just look at me and wave her hand, and I, I realize that we're done talking now. <laughs> that sounds so bad. I do not do that. Yes, you do it. You know it. I don't. And then do you that. go looking for your iPhone in your in your jacket. <laughs> <laughs> that I have. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Smile. And uh, let's talk more about this Apple TV. So so I'm going to kind of follow the analogy, or that's not the right word. I'm going to follow my family's experience with this Apple TV. For the longest time, we were ripping movies and watching these kids' movies over and over again. Well, now I've got teenagers. And teenagers uh, don't watch TV anymore. And I've mentioned yeah. this in the past on the show, and I've had a lot of listeners confirm this. Uh, teenagers watch Netflix. They watch YouTube. But they don't watch like network programming, or they rarely do in my experience. So now the Apple TV has become this hub of streaming services instead of the hub of our of our of our iTunes library. It it really has, and and you know we did the the show. I think it's been about a year or so ago. It's I've been now two full years as a cord cutter and. And people say, well, you still have cable for your internet service. Yes, I do still have cable for my internet service. But I have no cable TV, no satellite subscription, nothing like that. I have um, an antenna that I get a couple of network stations over and basically an Apple TV. And I do have that Blu-ray player that I, I use for Amazon. But that's it. And I will tell you, I have noticed, especially this summer, where all of the shows that I would normally watch that are you know on during the regular TV show season are not on. The Apple TV has really become a huge supplemental device for me. In fact, I am watching the Apple TV now more than I, you know, the Apple TV is HDMI 2 for me and my TiVo is HDMI 1. And I don't think my TV has been off of HDMI 2 in maybe the past week or so. And yeah, and that's, that's huge. I mean, I, that was... Part of it may be that it's summer, but I'm just finding that I'm I'm spending so much more time on the Apple TV and these third-party services. And part of that may be, you know, Apple did just add a couple of more custom channels. Um, I've been watching a bunch of stuff on the Smithsonian channel. I don't know if you've been watching that. They had a, a documentary about uh, the real story behind Star Trek that our friend Rod Roddenberry was on. You know, we had Rod on the show yeah. a year or so ago. There's just been some really interesting stuff. I don't think we have the Smithsonian Channel as part of our cable package even. 
but there's been some some interesting stuff there. I one of the things I really missed when when I cut the the cord was um 24-hour news, so I watch a lot of the Wall Street Journal channel. Um video podcasts have become big for me. Um I'm watching, you know, of course a lot of stuff that our friend Don McAllister does and um, but I'm watching a lot of the you know, the video podcasts. CNET has some video podcasts that I like if you want to stay in the tech space, but there are also some interesting news podcasts and um, a lot of the the news shows that I would like to watch are, are available by podcast and just great content available through video podcast. And without sounding like a teenage girl, David, like you just kind of made me out to sound a minute ago, I'm finding more things on YouTube to watch. And I have never been a YouTube watcher. Well, I mean, YouTube has taken on a new dimension. It's the place you go for everything. I got a new razor and I wanted to know how to clean it. And I watched a video on YouTube. Well, I mean, I wanted to learn how to make, um, what was I learning? How to, oh, like recipes. I've been trying to experiment more with, with you know, kind of cooking some, some meals in advance. And um, I found a recipe on YouTube. And I think I talked about spaghetti squash previously. Well, I found a video on how to cook spaghetti squash on, on YouTube and these people who have these channels where they put these these videos. I mean, I'm just finding all kinds of awesome content on YouTube. Yeah, and we find, you know, we, we do have a Netflix uh, streaming subscription, and we use the heck out of that. I mean, there's shows the kids like. There, I like to go back. Katie, and I watch some of the old Star Treks. Good for you. Katie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, um, I still don't know what the name of that sword is, but I'm not going to go there. Batlet. Uh, the... Um, and it's really great. And, you know, the Netflix is the best experience by far. In fact, I think all of these services, uh, you know, YouTube, Vimeo, HBO has a great service as well. Yeah, I got to have cable for that. Yeah, that's true. But I do. And it's really great on the Apple TV. I prefer to watch it there than off the cable box. And Vimeo, I'm sorry, Netflix, We, you know, we used to try and watch it off the Xbox and it was terrible. The fan would be going really loud and, you know, it just... It was crazy. So you've got this really low energy device that's the Apple TV. It's got a better interface. Uh, I, I do wish there was a way to search across all these different services, but I suspect that's something Apple has no power to fix. Uh, but it's well, really... They, they might be able to, because I've seen other places. I think one of the features of the new TiVos, and I don't... I, my TiVo is several years old, so I don't have it with it. But I think one of the features of the new TiVo uh, Romeos that just came out... Um, is a unified search function where you can search it and it will tell you where it's on. Is it on live TV? Is it on YouTube? Is it on Netflix? Is it on, you know, wherever? So we'll see, maybe. I would recommend downloading an app called Can I, can I Stream It? Yeah, canistream.it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but they have, an, they have an iPhone app. So that, that gives you an ability, if there's something you want to watch, uh, to find out where it's at. But either way, my, my point is that the Apple TV is the go-to place in my house for doing all of the streaming stuff. And yeah. I, I don't see that changing. Yeah. Now, do you, uh, a couple of things have disappointed me. I mean, number one, I'm, I'm very glad to see that we are getting more and more channels because I've, I've really enjoyed the Smithsonian channel. The weather channel is interesting. I'm not real sure what they're going to do with that, but okay. It's, it's nice. Well, let's to talk have. about that because I think the weather channel is interesting. In, the, in, in essence, it's, it's almost like an app. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Because if you've looked at the new weather channel, you specify your location and it will give you the weather. And then you can see a couple of videos. You can't really see much, at least I can in my location. And maybe that's because I'm in not as populated an area as you are. But I can't see customized video. Well, I, I just, I would love to see at some point Apple allow 
independent app developers on at least some mechanism for people to get on there. Well, we'll talk about this when we talk about the future of Apple yeah. TV, but there's there's obviously an app development kit for Apple TV. It's just limited. Yeah. Um sports content, um it depends on your sport. Uh, baseball is great. Um last time I checked the MLB season subscription was $100, but I haven't done it for a while. I just don't have time to follow it, but it was really great app. You could see every game except the home games for your home team. And, um, you know, if you, if I had time, I would probably really enjoy uh, keeping that subscription going. I know there's a basketball one in there, us football. Um, those contracts are with other networks and that's just not there. So it depends on your sport. Yeah. I, I don't care for any of that, but I, um, I, well, lots a, of people uh, I know watch it. And so I was yeah, wondering if you had any experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm not that much of a sports guy anymore either. That's that's a whole shtick of mine lately. Is I gave up sports like about four years ago, and I haven't missed it at all. Hmm. Just haven't missed it. Anyway, uh, we'll there, there have yeah the the couple of disappointments that I've had with the content on the Apple TV, uh, and some of them aren't really Apple's fault. Uh, Hulu Plus has been a disappointment for me. I, I find that the content on Hulu Plus is is pretty lacking. You're seeing less. I'm actually finding. More of the stuff that I want to watch is available on Hulu and not Hulu Plus, as ridiculous as that is. Because if Hulu Plus doesn't have the rights to it, you can't see it on Hulu Plus, but you still may be able to see it on Hulu, which is bizarre. And um, I'm I'm just very disappointed that more and more of these apps, um, you know, ESPN, HBO Go, although I understand that one, some of the Disney Channel stuff are requiring a cable subscription to to unlock it. And I understand that those are probably deals with the cable TV providers and those specific networks. But fortunately, I haven't had the issue with any specific apps yet. But there are, are certain apps that I would pay for via in-app purchase, monthly even, to have access to. Like if CNN came out with an app that had live TV as an option, I'd, I'd pay a reasonable monthly price via in-app purchase to get access to CNN live TV in a heartbeat. Isn't what we all would really like, or at least we think we would like would be a pay as you go per channel. So if you wanted HBO and you don't have a cable subscription, you pay X dollars a month or a year and you get the HBO channel on your Apple TV. Yeah. And and I know we won't get that the way that we want it, but this could be a gateway to that. I th- I think. Yeah, I guess I, think, I guess the question is those are pretty high level. I know that there are a lot of barriers to that. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of people making money on the old system, which we'll probably talk about later, unless we run out of time. Yeah. Um, what about the Apple TV as a business tool? Can we move to that now? Yeah, let's let's move to that because I'll tell you, I just we just bought a a TV for our conference room, and we connected an Apple TV to it, so we just you know, spent a couple thousand bucks to put a big 60 inch TV in our conference room. And that was the only accessory we connected to. It was an Apple TV. It's such a great, it's such a great uh, spend for a hundred bucks. Yeah. The, the reason why we did that is because every attorney in our office has an iPad or an iPhone. And so we can either, you know, plug in our computers. If someone comes to the office, they can either plug in via cable and give a presentation on our TV or what we do because we're uber cool is we download our presentation to our iPad or our phones. And I got to give a lesson on this, but this is what they'll be able to do. Um, And they get to walk around our conference room wireless and throw it up on the Apple TV. I mean, one of my 
partners, what she used to do is she does some probate work. So a lot of it was, you know, kind of sketching out diagrams with stick people of, okay, this is these people and this is how this property gets divided and half goes to Sally and half goes to Johnny and half goes to Susie, you know, okay, that's three halves, but you know what I mean? Um, And and so she had a whiteboard. It was so funny. You'd see her carry the whiteboard from her office out to the conference room. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to have to show her um, some of the Omni products, but we'll, we'll get there. But as a first step, let me show you how you can ditch your whiteboard and just use your iPad to sketch this stuff out and and throw it up on the TV. And that was just the neatest thing. Well, you know, another way she could do it would be to write some keynote animations. I've done this for like when you're forming a new business and people don't understand what's an LLC or a corporation or all the different options they have. So I have these cute kind of funny little animations that are they're sets of, you know, five to 10 keynote slides per corporate form. And then I've got those on the iPad. And when I sit down in the conference room, I put, I just wirelessly broadcast to the TV and I say, well, you want to know how this works? Let me show you. And stuff moves around on the screen. It's very clean. It doesn't look like a bunch of goofy, you know, writing on a whiteboard. And that's something that the Apple TV makes possible. Uh, Using iCloud, I often will write a presentation for a client meeting. And by presentation, it's not, you know, a list of bullet points, but, you know, a couple images, a couple uh, pieces of key data, maybe a couple pieces of evidence that I just want to go over with the client. And as we sit in the meeting, I'll just tap the screen and the big screen lights up with all this stuff. It makes me look like I'm so smart and it's really not that hard. And you can do it on your Mac in your office. And by the time you get to the conference room, with a good internet connection, it's already on your iPad. Yeah, absolutely. Then there is taking it on the road with you and giving presentations. I did a, a pretty good post on this at Max Sparky, I don't know, about six months ago. And I've had a lot of people write me that they appreciated that. Uh, so what I do is when I go on the road, I take an Apple TV with me. And usually it's the one at home. But now I'm thinking about Katie. I might just buy one of the used ones. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or when they come out the new one, I'll just update the home one and keep the existing one for my trips. And there's only a few pieces of hardware you need, but it allows you to broadcast wirelessly from a Mac or an iPad when you're given a presentation, which is great. I've even used this in a courtroom. So what I do is I bring an Apple Airport Express, which by plugging into the wall, you don't even need an internet connection. It creates its own little Wi-Fi network. And if you've got an internet connection and you need it, that's great. You can plug it in there and you can share that as well. But a lot of times I don't even need that. I just need the ability to get what's on my screen on something else. So I plug that in the wall and I create a little, you know, Max Sparky network and it's got a password on it. So nobody in the jury or in the audience, you know, do you call it the Max Sparky network? Uh, It just depends on my mood. I always make it something funny. Okay. Um, that's just because, you know, that's just my personality. But uh, but I have the Airport Express just plugged in the wall in the corner. It doesn't need to be out, you know, it doesn't need to be right next to the Apple TV is my point. All right. you and know, the nice thing enough. is the Airport Express now is almost exactly the same size as the Apple TV. So they yeah, stack nicely a, when you're traveling. Yeah, it's a white version of the Apple TV is what it looks like. It's the same footprint or very close to that. And so you just plug it in the wall and then I plug in the Apple TV next to the projector and you have to bring an HDMI cable with you because most projectors anymore have an HDMI in it. Or if you're going to a TV, they have an HDMI input. Make sure you check wherever you're going to make sure they have HDMI in, or you're going to need some other devices to make this work. But generally in the last couple of years, I found I've always been able to get in with an HDMI port. So at the end of the day, I've got 
an AirPort Express plugged in and an Apple TV plugged in. And the Apple TV is directly connected to the projector television. And, and, and so, you've done some work in advance, so you know that your Apple TV is going to connect to your AirPort Express network, so you're not sitting there on the fly having to configure it. Well, yeah, I mean, usually I am so anal. I show up for speaking gigs and, like, court things. Like, like if I'm starting trial on Monday, I spend Friday afternoon in the courtroom. I always bring, you know, the clerk's you know, you know, candy bars or whatever to let me get in and just make sure everything works. I don't want to be dealing with this when the people who are going to be listening to me are there. But so you've got this little Wi-Fi network and then you connect your Mac to it and you connect your iPad to it and even your phone if you want. So what you've created is a little virtual network and the members of the network are the Apple TV and your Apple devices. And then you've got this AirPlay, which is we haven't even mentioned AirPlay and we're like an hour into the show, but AirPlay allows you to broadcast from your your phone, your Mac, or your iPad directly on the Apple TV. And we really should have talked about this in the entertainment hub section because we use it all the time. I mean Yeah, you were just so excited to get to the business part. Yeah, I know. But we you know like to talk about it. Okay, so back in my living room, uh my daughter did Rock Camp for Girls, you know, Jean's one of Jean's other Jean McDonald's other ventures. And she her band was the Dead Pixies and they had a song about world peace, which I thought was ironic and fun. And so we did, we went to the concert. It was kind of fun. And then we had a bunch of family over and I just pulled out my iPhone and hit the play button on the video on my phone and using AirPlay just showed up on the TV. Well, and and here's the thing about AirPlay, just just switching and it it really is applicable to either section, but it opens up the world of apps on your Apple TV from the dozen or so that Apple provides to the thousands or tens of thousands now that are available in the app store because most of the time, and there are some applications that will specifically block AirPlay, but most of the time, if you can either push content from an app to an Apple TV via AirPlay if the developer has coded it in. And if they haven't, then most of the time you can get whatever content is on your screen. And I find a lot of times this works better on the iPhone screen because it's 16 by 9 rather than the iPad screen. You can get the content on your TV by mirroring from your phone, or your computer screen to the Apple TV. So now you've opened the content on the Apple TV up to just about any app that you can get on your phone and any content that you can get on your video, so you know, on your on your Mac. So you know how I said before, one of my big complaints was the downside that there's no Amazon streaming on the Apple TV. Well, as long as I've got my Mac, I can get Amazon streaming on the Apple TV. Yeah, and... In addition to that, now I just want to talk about the mechanics. And I, I will say that Amazon is one of the apps that the app, Amazon streaming app, blocks Apple TV, but you can still do it from your Mac to AirPlay. Yeah, what's that about? I don't get it. Yeah, that's so on iOS 6 to get this working, the mirroring, like you double tap the home button and you slide the menu to the right. And then there's that secret menu. And yeah, you slide it twice. I did a, I did a clarify post on my blog about this, actually. All right, let's put it in the show notes because yeah. it's really great. Uh, with iOS 7, it's much easier. You're just going to swipe up from the bottom and it's available to you. Uh, but like one of the things we do with it is when we play board games like, you know, Wheel of Fortune, Monopoly or some of the other stuff that's available as an iPad game. We always just mirror it to the Apple TV and it's a lot of fun for everybody to kind of look up to see where the game is. You don't have to pass the iPad around as much. I, but you know that you know that's a whole another question. Is Apple needs to get some games on this and allow us to do even more with this device, and and hopefully they will. I keep teasing this idea about talking the future of this, so let's get there. Uh, getting back to the business tool section, once you've got that little network built in, in at your speaking presentation, or your client's office, or whatever, 
then you can share just by hitting that AirPlay button. So if you're doing a keynote presentation from your iPad, you press the, the AirPlay button and it shows up on the big screen behind you just like that. It's great and it's very reliable. I was really you know, freaked out about doing this in front of a big group of people. And now I just take it for granted. Yeah, it's amazing. The um, one there's a there's a wrinkle to this. Sometimes you'll go and you'll have to hardwire for one reason or another your Mac into a projector. And um, that's that's let's say you don't have the Apple TV with you. And this is just kind of an aside. But if you run into that problem, get an app for your Mac called Reflector and it allows you to share your iPad screen to your Mac. And if as long as your Mac is wired into a projector or a TV, then you can share your iPad, too. Yeah, we use, we use Reflector all the time at our Mac user group meetings because it's the, the setup of the meeting is designed to allow you to plug in a computer to a screen. And, and unlike you, David, I have not, find most of, not found that most of the projectors that I connect to will accept HDMI. So you must be much more technologically advanced where, in the circles yeah. where you roam than I, I am. I only deal with the, the highest end people. Obviously, I'm very but, discriminating. Yeah, but so how do you deal with it? But but I found down here in the slums that we all still have our our uh, VGA adapters that are connected to these these ancient projectors. So reflector is a, is a good option. You know, plug in your your Mac via VGA, and then you can use AirPlay to AirPlay to your Mac, and um and that works great. But there is a um there's a cable made by Canex, K-A-N-E-X, that has an adapter. And this sounds so backwards, but what it does is it goes from HDMI to VGA. And and digital to analog. Digital to analog. <laughs> and um, you, so you have to plug in both the VGA and you'll have to plug in audio if you want audio, but maybe you don't need audio all the time. So you'll plug in the audio cable. And and there you go. And that is a great way to connect an Apple TV to a to a VGA adapter. So I would say... If it were me, I would throw that adapter into my into my bag where I'm carrying my my Apple TV, my HDMI cable, and my Airport Express. I don't own one of those. I've I've just been lucky, I guess. I mean, if I you know to the extent I run into a jam with that, I would I would plug the Mac into the VGA and then just use Reflector. But you know, actually, if I showed up and they didn't have the VGA, if you they do have an HDMI. I just pick up the mic, I drop it on the floor, and I'd walk out of the room. I, I do not speak in these types of locations. Yeah. yeah. Or if they didn't have a bag of only green M&Ms on the podium, that's another reason I'd walk away. Mm. I like the blue M&Ms. I don't mess around. There you go. Hey, let's talk about Smile some more. Yeah, before this goes totally off the rails, let's talk about one of my favorite products from Smile, one that I use every day. And that is PDF Pen. So PDF Pen uh, is the all-purpose PDF editor for your Mac. And here's what you can do with it. You can add signatures to PDFs. You can add text to PDFs. You can add images to your PDFs. If you find a typo or you want to make a change to a PDF, you can do that with PDF Pen. If you want to annotate a PDF and send it back to somebody and mark it up, you can do that with PDF Pen. If you've got a document that you scanned in and you want to OCR it, so maybe you can apply some of those fancy schmancy hazel rules that David and I are always talking about based on the content of a PDF, you can do that with PDF Pen. If you want to fill out forms that somebody sent you or maybe that you've downloaded from somebody's website, you can do that with PDF Pen. And new in PDF Pen is the ability to export into Word format. And 
I did not realize how much I needed a feature like this until I started using it. I probably use this a couple of times a month and, you know, it is so good. I can't even tell you how accurate this is because there have been ways in the past to scan something in and this conversion software to take a PDF and send it to Word, but they've they've been really bad. I mean, you'd have to read them line by line and analyze them and have to go in and type and change things. And generally, more often than not, what we would end up doing in our office is we would just hand a document to one of our secretaries and have them retype it. And they would we would just lose hours retyping these documents. But what you can do with PDF Pen is if you can scan a document in, PDF Pen will analyze it, export it into Word format. And you can go into a dot or a dot X format. And it takes minutes. I mean, I've exported you know, 20 page documents to a word format in two or three minutes. And they look great. The formatting is beautiful. I don't think that I found any typographical issues yet, but I I do always go through them. And you can make any changes that you need and completely edit this document because it is now a word document. I had this issue, um, you know, with a client where they wanted me to make modifications to a, a lease agreement that they had. And this lease was, you know, several pages long. And I said, well, you know, you've got a lot of good stuff here. We could either start completely from scratch. We could start from what you've got. But it'd be really helpful if you had this in a Word document. And it was, well, you know, the computer that we used it on, it crashed and we didn't back up the hard drive and so-and-so lost it and they're not here anymore. And I said, don't don't worry about it. Just send me a clean copy and a PDF and, and we'll take care of it from there. So that's new in, in version six. And I am just using it all the time. I get so much joy out of that when someone sends me something in PDF because they're, they don't want me to be able to change anything and I don't complain or say anything. I just run it through PDF pen, make it a word document, then make changes and send it back to them. <laughs> it just, it, it's, it's, I don't know. There's something, there's something not right with me. Yeah. So all of those features that I talked about, you can use with the regular version of PDF pen and that's just fifty nine ninety five. But if you upgrade to PDF Pen Pro for $99.95, you get a whole lot of additional features, including the ability to make your own interactive PDF forms, which if you ever wondered, hmm, I wonder how people make those forms, or I wonder how I can make my own forms and send them out to my clients or my patients or my parents, if you're a teacher, and get information back from them that you can actually read, that's how you do it. You create your own form. You can even create it in Microsoft Word or Pages or whatever, Save it as a PDF, and PDF Pen will automatically detect the form fields. This looks like it should be a checkbox. This looks like it should be a text field. This looks like it should be a multi-line text field. And create it as an interactive PDF form for you that you can then save, add to your website for people to download or send off to people for them to to fill out and, and bring back from you. Also with the Pro version, you have the ability to add bookmarks to PDF files, which I know you use all the time for organizing your PDFs. And you can take a single web page or a whole website and suck it into a PDF file complete with clickable links. So those are great options if you ever think you'll need to use them. Good reasons to upgrade to PDF Pen Pro for $99.95. And the beauty about PDF Pen is you can take it with you everywhere. There's a version for the iPad that's $14.99 and a version for the iPhone that's $4.99. So go check it out. You can find more information at Smile's website over at smilesoftware.com. And thanks to Smile for their continued support of Mac Power users. Okay, so when the Apple TV first came out, it was a big deal to hack it 
Remember? I mean, I'm talking about the $300. You know, I did that. Fryer. Yep. I put yeah. Boxy on my Apple TV. Yeah. So everybody was doing it because it was like a Mac mini that had been crippled a little bit and it didn't have all the apps that we've been talking about. And frankly, it didn't have all the functionality we've been talking about. But the iPad, I'm sorry, the Apple TV has, well, it's really progressed since then. And now I'm much less inclined to hack it than I would have been back in those days. Have you have you ever desired to hack your Apple TV? The one hack that I looked at that looked interesting, and I've gone back and forth as to whether or not to do it, is the um, the the option to add. Um, oh Plex. gosh, yes, Plex. The option to add yeah. Plex to the Apple TV. Yeah, Plex Connect. Yeah, so Plex is a, a media server that's an independent media server. People can get they're putting them on their drobos and their Macs and their other devices where it's kind of an alternative to iTunes. I know I'm understating it, but but Apple TV doesn't have a client for it. And there's a there's a hack for that. In fact, there's a website I was looking at. It's called AppleTVHacks.net. And if you're interested in this, I'd recommend going there. They have how-tos, they have explanations of what you can do with it. And it seemed to me like the the two big ones right now are the Plex Connect, if you want to get at the Plex viewer onto your Apple TV. And the other one is the, it's called XBMC, but I used to know it as the Xbox Media Center, which is an open source project to make the Xbox into a media center back, probably. I don't know how far back this goes, maybe 10 years now. Mm-hmm. But it, it's become much more than that. And and they've got an install for the Apple TV as well. So if you want to roll your own media center, if you don't want that, that's a good reason to look into this stuff. I'm in favor of just using iTunes, though. I mean, I like iTunes. I'm well. There, I have my complaints with iTunes, but I think it's the way to go when you've got all these Apple devices around. Yeah, if you aren't a 100% iTunes and Apple household, Don McAllister just did a great series on Plex, which is what really started me thinking about this. And I don't know if you've watched that, David, or if that started you thinking no, I about haven't. it. Um, But Don did a great series on Plex, and I think Plex is something definitely worth looking at if you don't live 100% in the Apple ecosystem. So if you have a mixed environment, if you've got other devices, if you've got Android tablets that you're supporting, if uh, you've got Android um, phones that you're supporting, if, if you've got a ton of content that you've gotten from, let's just say, alternate sources um, that you want to pull in metadata and all of those things for, Plex is going to be great at that because it's going to organize all of your content. It's going to pull in metadata. It's got a great interface for that. And the beauty of the Plex Connect hack for Apple TV is that you didn't have to jailbreak the Apple TV. It was it was kind of a a, a half jailbreak hack. You didn't have to jailbreak it at all, really. Um, but it was kind of a half hack for the Apple TV. The the problem with that though is that just you didn't even have to run software update for it to break. You know, when Apple just pushed out these additional channels to the Apple TV, it broke. So it's it's all is and and then the next day they found another way around it and it was fixed again. But it's this constant cat and mouse game. And so I think if you're going to use a solution like Plex, sure, go ahead. You know, look at the Plex Connect Apple TV hack, but have a plan B because realize it's just a cat and mouse game. And you know, so if I were gonna if I decided to dive into Plex, I would probably primarily use it on my Mac Mini and use that as the interface for it. I I looked actively today to find someone reporting that using Plex bricked their Apple TV, you know, that it ruined it. And I didn't find any. 
I've never tried it. Oh, no, and I don't think it will, but it's a constant cat and mouse game because when Apple pushes a new update to your Apple TV, even if it's not a go to check for updates and actually get an update, but just like they did recently when they just these new channels showed up, it broke. It disappeared. Yeah, no, I, I know that. And But my point is, if you want to, to monkey with this, I don't think you're putting your hardware at risk. You're really putting your time at risk. Because yeah, that's a good point. You're going to spend time making it work. And frankly, that's the reason why in my house we have Apple computers and Apple iPads and Apple iPhones. Is I, I just don't want to swim against the current. I just want it to be easy so I can move on to making things rather than trying to keep my Plex, you know, working. So uh, I'm just not a big fan of it. I, I know we've got a lot of listeners that are, though, and I get it. It's just not something I'm interested in spending time on. Well, the beauty of it, and we, you know, you know the beauty of it, but you can throw all your media on a Drobo 5N or a Synology or another, yeah. and, and you don't have to have that Mac running all the time. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So if, not, you're, if you're interested in, convinced. In, yeah. <laughs> if way. you're interested in learning more about this, we're not going to go into great detail on Plex Connect. Maybe we will in a future show. Um, go check out Don's tutorials that he did. He did like a three part series on Plex Connect recently. So yeah. And go to AppleTVHacks.net if you want to give this a shot. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Just, you know, just be willing to spend a little time. Yeah. So without breaking our standing rule of getting into rumors and speculation, do we want to talk a little bit about the future of Apple TV? Yeah, I think we can because this is so far out there. It's not even doesn't even qualify as rumors and speculation. It's like a degree worse because... Everybody talks about Apple TV. Apple's never said anything about it. Um, there's a lot of people think that Apple's going to make a television set. I don't. And in, in my heart of hearts, I, I don't think they will. It just doesn't seem like something they'd want to do. There's a lot of competition. They wouldn't be able to make any kind of profit that they're used to on it. And are they going to stock all these Apple TVs in the Apple store? It just doesn't seem like a business that would work for them. Although I would like to see the Apple TV evolve. And there's really two pieces of this. There's the Apple piece and there's the television content piece. And Apple only controls one of those. I mean, the future of TV for me has really been brought home by watching my kids as they got older and stopped watching television. And their friends come over and they do the same things. And maybe my kids just have friends that like to stream. But I think this is a real thing. And the television networks that for what now, I guess, 80 years have been used to having people just show up and watch whatever they put on, have got competition in other media now that is winning. It's a it's a very big, complicated problem to solve. And I think on on one hand, if any company can solve this problem, it's Apple. I mean, Apple was the one that really solved the music problem. So Apple's got a way of getting these companies on board and getting them to try something and getting them to do something totally different and totally against their business model and, and really changing the world in the way that they do it. But on the other hand, you also have the, the media companies looking at, oh my gosh, look at the foothold that Apple got in, afraid of Apple because of oh, yeah. the power it's, and the dominance that Apple got when they did what they did with music. And I, I, the balance is starting to shift a little bit. I mean, Amazon Music and Google Play and things like that are coming along, but nowhere near to the degree or the power that that Apple is. So I, I think you have, you know, this this whole hesitance to to move to a new system, number one, 
And then even if the companies know that it's in their best interest and they know they've got to move to a new system at some point, they're terrified of Apple. Yeah. And I, I actually, because I work near Los Angeles, I, I do some work with people in the entertainment industry. And it seems to me that the rallying cry with the people in video and television is we're not going to let Apple take over like they did the music industry. And um, I, I think I may be a little biased. I, I feel like Apple saved the music industry in a lot of ways. I remember those days when all people did is download from, you know, these Napster sites all the time. Wow. But so Apple can way, save them, but you're saying they may not want to be saved. Yeah. And I, I think, frankly, they're so used to making so much money off advertising. I mean, when TV first started, there was even when I was a kid, there was like six or seven channels that really worked. So if you wanted to advertise, first of all, most people were watching one of those six or seven. Really, they were watching three of those six or seven networks. So you had a huge audience and you had, a, in essence, a monopoly. I mean, if people wanted to advertise, there was only one place to go to, the television networks. And now there are a lot more channels to compete for people's attention. And there are a lot more media that are separate from TV. But the TV people still think that, you know, they can command the prices that they get from advertising that they always have. Yeah. And and, and if, I think even that network TV model is changing. I mean, the networks, you used to have to be the big network and, what you know, the networks, they were over the air and they broadcast and everybody could get them. The network TV, they hate me now. They hate me because I'm not, they're not getting money from me from a cable TV subscription. Now they're, they're still getting ad view. Well, they're kind of not because I'm TiVoing and skipping them, but they're conceivably getting ad revenue dollars from me because they can count me as a, as a, as a viewer. But I am, I am now a subpar, substandard, you know, network TV watcher because I'm watching network TV over the airways as opposed to watching network TV through a, a cable subscription. And as a result, I can't get access to things that network TV subscribers on cable TV subscriptions can like with the ABC apps and things like that. And so those people want, those people control the content and they're not sure. I'm I'm sure that, you know, their worlds are changing. I'm not sure anybody's figured out where they go next. Then there's people who control the delivery mechanism, which is in large part, the cable companies. And they make so much money off your subscriptions they don't want to become just the dumb pipe that delivers the internet to your house. I mean, they make a lot of money. I mean, at my house, we spend about a hundred and I think forty dollars a month on cable. Yeah. So that's a lot of money, and you multiply that times every house in the community, and a lot of people have more than we do. And wow! And so, so they're not going to want things to change a lot. So there's just all these different pieces, and. I don't know that Apple has the power to fix this, and I'm not even sure they're interested in it, but I really like what they've done with the Apple TV, and I'd like to see that evolve. I'd like to see it get apps. I'd like to see it get games. You know, why not have a board game that I can get on my Apple TV and we can use our iPhones to control our, you know, characters? If I played uh, Scrabble, you know, they have a Scrabble app for the iPad, and then they have a Scrabble tile app for the iPhone. So I could set the iPad in the middle of the table and we could each hold iPhones or iPod touches and see our tiles. And I get that that's nerdy and that's okay. But I would like to see something for that, for the Apple TV and people, you know, exploring what they could do with that and Apple making that more possible. I'd also like to see them combining the HDMI port. Uh, the Xbox One is doing this now, as I understand it. You plug in your cable to it and it becomes a conduit for your cable connection. So you're not switching inputs. 
Um, and that way, you know, what if Apple did that and they could overlay their own interface on top of the, the television, you know, your cable TV. I mean, it seems to me there's some things that Apple could do. They, they have knowledge of hardware and outstanding user interfaces. And both of those things uh, I would love to upgrade my TV with. Yeah. And, and I tend to agree with you that Apple's not going to go into the, you know, 16 by 9 TV market. I, I At least I hope that they don't, because I don't think that's Apple's business there. But I at the same time, I also think that Apple cannot stay in the $99 box market. Because as a hobby, yes, they can do that. But if you want to start expanding the Apple TV, if you want to start putting games on it, if you want to start getting controllers, and and I don't know that that's the place to go. I, I have no interest in going there, but I understand that there's a desire to go there. I don't know that we need to open it up to an app store right away, but the types of things that you're talking about doing with an Apple TV and doing more with an Apple TV is is going to get more intensive. It's going to get more hardware intensive. It's going to get more processor intensive, and it's not going to be a $99 box. And you know what? I'm okay with that. If, if, See, I'm, not, I'm not sure you're right. I think you could do a lot of this stuff with a $99 box. Maybe. I mean, things are definitely coming down in price. But if it was an Apple TV with substantially more um, advanced capabilities, and if it was maybe it did have some onboard storage and or, or at least a bigger buffer and some other things, I'd be okay with a $199 box or a $299 box. And that's really Apple's more sweet spot. You know, something that people are, is a low enough price that people will buy them and people will upgrade them every three years or so. So I don't see any way that would happen unless the SSD storage was cheap enough that they could include that. Cause I don't see them ever putting another spinning drive in fusion. I just don't see them doing it. I mean, they, I think they moved on from the, the original Apple TV for a reason. I like the new one better than the original Apple TV. It's quieter. It's cooler. All those things that I was bragging about for when I watched Netflix, um, the old Apple TV would have been not very good for. Well, the Apple TV can never be a DVR without it. It cannot be a DVR in the near future without a Fusion Drive. Well, I'm, and, and then I would say that it's not going to be a DVR. Yeah. See, I, 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 I want the Apple TV to be a DVR. You might want it to be, but I just don't think it, they're ever going to put another spinning disc in anything they make, except for, you know, I think they can't wait to stop stocking, you know, Hitachi spinning drives. Okay, well, I guess we'll see, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? and, and I think the next the next thing that's going to happen, and we've already gotten rumors of it, they're going to be an update to the Apple TV to get 802.11ac at some point. And we've wasn't there that leak about the CW that they were going to get an app on the Apple TV, and we haven't seen that yet? I think the next thing we're going to see is we're going to see network apps on the Apple TV. I, I kind of think sometimes we're we've been lulled into it because for several years now we've been like this is the year we're gonna they're gonna open the Apple TV up and we're gonna I don't get I don't more think apps. they're gonna open it up but I think see, we're gonna see network apps on the Apple TV. But we've all kind of come to that conclusion now. Well, I guess they're just not gonna do it, and then they're gonna hit us with it. Oh, they will at some would, point, but I don't think they are anytime soon. I I think it would be cool if they did. I don't really have any information on that, but uh, you know, even if to, they we need to ask even Alicia if, Tyler. Even if they um. Oh, by the way, Aisha is doing really great on Whose Line Is Anyway. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but the um, even if they just did, you know, a little upgrade, you know, get a little better networking in there, uh, that's fine. I, I, I really, really love the Apple TV. I think it's the best $99 you can spend in the Apple store. I agree. Yeah. All right, Katie. Well, we did it. Um, we're at an hour and a half. We'll put feedback off again. 
Sorry. Yeah, well, we're not quite an hour. And a, we're, we've been on Skype an hour and a half, but the show's only been going an hour and, and 20 minutes. Do you want to do a oh, little feedback? Some, all right, let's do it. You go first. Um, so I had like a bazillion people email me and because I talked about double formatting a, a flash drive to, to do a, um, a, a Mac partition, a, an OS X journal partition on one, one part of it and a, um, a, a fat partition on another. And a lot of people said, well, why don't you just look at an XFAT? And I, I am assuming that's how you pronounce it, an XFAT partition. And this is something that is, you know, read and write on both Mac and Windows. Um, both can read and write it. You don't have the same limitation that you do with FAT32, that they have to be under certain sizes. Go do that. The only problem with XFAT is it has to be created on a PC. And I just don't have one. I mean, I guess I could go do one at work, do it at work, but yeah. But yeah, so that is something worth looking into if you have access to a, a PC. A, a Mac currently cannot create an XFAT, and I'm hoping that's how you pronounce that because it just sounds funny, an XFAT partition. You will you will need a Windows 7 machine and above to, to do that, but that's an option. Yeah, I'm, I'm so infrequently on PCs these days. I do keep a, a FAT32 thumb drive in my bag of tricks, but my my big um, tough and tiny is just all... It's just all Mac now. It's all journaled. Um, speaking of tough and tiny, we got an email from a listener who had a, a great story about his tough and tiny. Did you read that? I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he dropped it. He dropped it in his yard while he was like mowing the lawn or something, and he thought it was gone. And it was in the middle of his yard for a couple weeks. And you know, after that, he mowed the lawn another couple times. So there's a good chance it cut. You know, thrown through the lawnmower, and. Um, and then he found it, and it worked. <laughs> wow! I mean, that's a that's a great little device. They get hot, you know, because there's so, there's no insulation on them. It's it's literally the the RAM with a, the, a some proper context. Yeah, yeah. But man, that's great. I have it on my my keychain. That was a good investment. Yeah. You know, Merlin Mann is the guy who turned me onto that. Me too. Yeah. So we talked about Google Voice on a past show, and Randy wrote in and talked about you know another use for Google Voice is if you've got like a, uh, whether it's a, an apartment that has like a gate or you live in a gated community and maybe you don't have a home phone line or maybe you have a gated community or a second home and you don't have a local phone where that gated community is, you can use Google Voice to access the gate. Because typically what these gates do are they, they call your home phone number and you press a button to buzz somebody in. But usually they'll only call the local phone number because, you know, this is like 1996. And and I did this before. I, I lived in a gated apartment complex, you know, for a while and a, a place where I didn't have a local local phone number. And so I got a Google Voice number with local area code. And that's what I used Google Voice for was buzzing, you know, people into the gate when they needed to or buzzing myself in the gate when my clicker didn't work. So there you go. That's a good one. Uh, you know, we t- when we talked to Jeff Barrel um at one point during the discussion, we started to stray into the idea of uh, stationary, oh, and dear. then and then Katie got her hand out and kind of waved me off. Mm-hmm. What are you laughing at? It's you know it's true. Yeah, you know maybe maybe we should do video versions of these shows. You I think you have stay. I think you have text expander hand gestures. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I don't even need to see it. You just did it again, didn't you? All right, go ahead. Stationary. 
So I just want you to know, Katie Floyd, that I got a lot of email from listeners that were very interested in that. So I'm going to do a, a post at Max Sparky and there's nothing you can do about it. So watch out for that. I won't. Um, speaking about Apple TV, which is appropriate for this show, when we talked about our back to school show, um, Chris wrote in and, and we talked about potentially getting an AirPrint printer to um, to print from your iOS devices. And, and Chris pointed out, just be aware that on college campuses or places where there's big open networks, AirPlay and AirPrint and things like that may not work as expected. And so the best thing to do if you can is to set up your own little sub-local network and just have your stuff on your own little sub-local network. But some colleges don't let you do that. So if if it were my choice, if I could, I would kind of set up my own little router that still passes through the internet connection, but yet all my stuff is connected to my little local network. But if you can't do that, just be aware that AirPlay and AirPrint is wonky. I probably wouldn't set up an AirPrint printer on the college network because then everybody would be printing to you. Well, and and that's easily solved with an Airport Express. So, if if you can set it up, if if they'll let, because some networks won't let you set up others, add other stuff to their network. Yeah, but going back to my um, oh, just my an Airport idea. Express with with no network connectivity. Yeah, it's yeah, a dead network with no internet. So you could have a separate network in your dorm room with no internet. Does, yeah, yeah. Although that would not solve the problem if you were trying to stream. Yeah, but in a perfect world, if you could connect that separate network to the internet, that would be great. Yeah. Well, Katie, I think that's about it for today. Yeah, I do have one request or one listener request um, that I'll just throw out there. Um, But Destin uh, is a sheriff's deputy, and he wrote in asking for help if any MacTower user listeners have suggestions. And he was asking if we had any experience with document automation. And, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, text expander for automating input into text entries and things like that. But specifically what Destin is looking for is software that prompts you for answers to questions and then fills out forms and say word or pages. And the first thing I thought about was like a text expander fill in field. But I I think what he's looking for is more, you answer a series of questions in a questionnaire and then your answers get plugged into, um, you know, a form that gets spit out in word or pages or something like that. So um, that's what he's looking for. If anybody knows of any, um, tweet us at Mac Power Users and we'll retweet it or send us an email and we'll we'll try to pass that information along. All right, Katie Floyd, we made it through another show. We did. I'm glad we finally got to Apple TV. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully they'll go change it a whole lot and improve it now that we've covered it. There we go. Then in another 140 shows, we'll talk about it again. There you go. So you can find links to all of the great things we talked about in this episode um, in our show notes, which were lovingly crafted by JT. And you can find that at 5x5.tv slash MPU slash 154 or on our website at MacPowerUsers.com. And while we're talking about MacPowerUsers.com, probably one of the most common emails I get from people is, hey, have you done a show on fill in the blank? And did you know, David? That although the 5 by 5 website doesn't have a way for you to easily search our show notes or to view a complete archive of all of our shows on one page, that you can do that at MacPowerUsers.com? It would be great if we had a button on there that just said shows right on the front page. It would be nice if we had a button that just said shows on the front page. And, and if it took you to like a single page that had a listing of every single show we've ever done. Yeah. 
Hey, yeah. wait a second. We do have that. I think we do have that. Okay. So go, go to MacPowerUsers.com slash shows, or just go to the homepage and tap the shows button. Yeah. Or you can search if you're interested in, in hey, have you mentioned this or talked about this? And you yeah. can figure out if we have. And the answer is yes, we have. <laughs> Usually it is, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes yes. multiple times. Sometimes but... <laughs> many times. Have you ever talked about Hazel on the show? No. What is that? I'm what not is, familiar with that. Is that some kind of noodle? No. I used to love that show. Boy, that was great. Yeah. All Actually, right. I hated that show, but that's how, another case. How else can you get in touch with us? Uh, send us an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com or uh, Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers and Katie's at Katie Floyd and I'm at Max Sparky. All right. And uh, we will be back. We've got a couple of guests lined up, so it's just a question of who we can get in here first to record. And I think you'll be impressed either way that we go. So we will talk to you next time. Oh, 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 oh,